Hello and welcome everyone to a very unique episode of Decoding Seafood. Today I have a very special guest with me, Jim Fries, Corporate Engineer at Moe USA. But before we go any further, I'd like to thank Jim for taking time out of his schedule to talk with us today and say hi. So, hi Jim. Hey Catherine, thanks for, uh, thanks for doing this. It is my pleasure. Because today, Moe would like to proudly recognize and celebrate the extraordinary accomplishments of Jim, a seasoned engineer and dedicated colleague for his commendable efforts both in the field of engineering and beyond. Recently, Jim surpassed his own limits by participating in the grueling Moab 240 Ultra Marathon, all for a very noble cause, the Seeing Eye. The Seeing Eye is a philanthropic organization whose mission is to enhance the independence, dignity, and self-confidence of blind people through the use of Seeing Eye dogs. The Moab 240 is not for the faint of heart. It challenges athletes to cover 240 miles across harsh desert terrain and two daunting mountain ranges, demanding a climb of over 31,000 feet, all to be completed in under 116 hours. Out of the 200 registered participants this year, only 112 saw the finish line. Amongst them was Freeze, who completed the run in four days, 14 hours, three minutes, and 41 seconds, securing the 84th position. Jim's motivation to take on such extreme challenges stems from his mantra, going the distance for the puppies. Specifically, he runs and cycles to raise funds for Seeing Eye Inc., a nonprofit dedicated to training special dogs that aid the visually impaired in leading more independent lives. This year alone, Jim has raised $45,000 through his athletic pursuits for the Seeing Eye Inc. While I could do all the talking about Jim and his cause for the and his cause for this entire episode, I want you all to hear directly from him. Jim, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what made you start supporting this amazing cause? Uh, sure, Catherine. Um, so I'm a uh, I'm a uh, seasoned runner and a, and a seasoned uh, uh, engineer, as you said. Um, I've been at the engineering for about 39 years. Uh, married that whole time to a wonderful wife. I've got three kids that are grown and four grandkids. Uh, I started out at a young age in cross country and track and was very competitive as a kid went to road running, went to marathoning, and found my way to ultramarathoning eh, about 10 years ago. And uh, my love of, uh, of, of the woods and the trail uh, uh, overtook the competitiveness of road racing, and I, I got into this uh, uh, longer-type uh, challenges that uh, uh, challenged me to compete against myself and not so much against the people around me. Um, Along those lines, Catherine, you mentioned biking. Mentioned biking. I did uh, in my 65,000 miles of running since I was a kid. I've had a few things with my back, minor back surgery, and about five years ago, I got into ultra biking because I needed to take a year off from running. So, um, yeah, so here I am. Uh, I've been with uh, Moe uh, in, the, in the seafood industry. I've been in agribusiness my entire career, and I've been with Moe about seven and a half years. And... Uh, I travel around the world with Moe. Um, I'm located here in the U.S. and spend a lot of time with the U.S. business unit. Um, uh, the running is uh, 
is conducive to my schedule, which is usually on the road. And so all I need is a pair of sneakers in my suit in, in, in my suitcase and I'm ready to rock and roll. Um, as far as the charity goes, um, uh, and, and the seeing eye, this goes, uh, goes to my, uh, about five years ago, uh, I think something's, uh, happened through, uh, uh, through, through a sad story. My, my younger brother, uh, about five and a half, six years ago, uh, passed away suddenly and he was, uh, only 49 years old. And when he passed, so this is a guy who was an, who was an international business person like myself. He had lost his sight. He had a lot more to deal with. He had lost his sight in his 30s and had found the seeing eye in his early 40s and had applied to their program and was fortunate enough to be placed with a dog. And his dog's name was Hero. And uh, he and Hero traveled the world and, uh, and things went extremely well. John became a huge advocate for the blind, both in advocating for, you know, with his business background for, uh, uh, at advocating for things that would take place in people's cities, uh, advocating for the seeing eye itself. And so when we had this tragedy about, uh, about six years ago and he passed, uh, first of all, I inherited, uh, a retired seeing eye dog by the name of hero, which was wonderful. And it was good to keep him in the family. But I saw an opportunity to combine some of the things that I've done from an athletic standpoint over my life with uh, carrying on what he was doing in advocating uh, for the blind. And so uh, that's how I kind of put this all together. And uh, yeah, and, that, and, and that's where I am. That was kind of long-winded, Catherine. <laughs> No, that wasn't. And I'm, and I'm happy that you shared that personal story, to be honest with you, because it, you know, first of all, I think it's very commendable what you're doing. And, you know, you kind of put two things together and, you know, you're making a difference in other people's lives. So I, I'm sure they'll appreciate that. But I want to, you know, I talked a little bit about the Moab 240, but like you said, you've done a lot of other events. So can you tell us a little bit about the other events that you've done? I know when I was looking on a website, I saw that you'd done stuff in Long Island and and all around the place. So, can you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah. So, so when when John passed, um, I I started to raise money uh, and awareness for the Seeing Eye by uh, by putting together events. And initially, um, back in two thousand eight. 2018 when he passed, I did a 100 miler in Zion, Utah. And that was my first event where I went the distance for the puppies. And it was just a, it's a little catchphrase. It's, it's, it's how I got this whole thing started. And it got some attention of some of my friends. Um, at that point I had to have back surgery. (laughs) And so I switched my, my ultra event to biking for a bit. And biking has come has kind of become the primary way of raising funds, and I'll I'll kind of explain that. So the next year in 2019, I did a solo crossing of New York on my bicycle. I rode from Battery Park in the in in New York City out to Buffalo, and again uh, going the distance for the puppies. And after that event, I started getting a lot of my athlete friends interested 
in, hey, you know, if you're going to do this, could we do it with you? And I said, hey, if you do this with me and you help me raise awareness and help me raise money, absolutely. And so the following year, we did, uh, five of us uh, did a ride from Washington, D.C. to Pittsburgh. And the, the charity, which uh, we've recently named, and we'll talk about that later, uh, started to pick up some speed. The year after, we went from Cincinnati to Cleveland. Um, this year, we went from Niagara Falls on the Canadian side to Long Island, which was one of our longest rides. It was about 600 miles. And, uh, and then I tapped off this year with Moab 240. And so all of these became events um, under our umbrella. Um, uh, all 100% uh, of the proceeds, we, we pay for our own uh, activity. There's, there's nothing that we're taking out of the charity. Uh, everything that comes in goes directly to the seeing eye. And actually this year, um, as this builds, and the Cincinnati ride and the Niagara ride, we're up to eight riders. We hope to be maybe 15 riders next year. Um, uh, what we've done is we've created a website called, um, uh, And so we're, we're just building year over year, uh, to try to support these guys and to try to support what they do. Um, a little bit about the seeing eye. It's the oldest of several guide dog companies in the U S it's located in New Jersey. It provides about 250 dogs per year to, uh, the blind and sight impaired, each dog to get them from breeding uh, to being raised and being trained costs over 70,000 US dollars. And so this is a huge uh, non-insurance based program to help people who are sight impaired. And so this charity that we've put together so far, we've raised about $130,000 uh, since my brother's passing. And we hope we can build it and make it stronger each year and contribute more uh, to helping with this cause. Jim, I can't imagine going all of those distances. That must take its toll on your body. How many of these do you think you can do a year? I'm just curious. Well, I'm in my 60s and uh, I've got over 60,000 miles on my body. <laughs> I have, I have uh, relegated myself to one or two ultra distance running events per year, uh, either a hundred miler. And now, now that I've, I've tasted this 200 mile distance, I, I intend to go back at some point because I think I've learned a lot and I think I can do it better next time, but that's, I guess, part of my psyche. And I definitely think that we're going to see one long bike ride, which is a one week commitment for everyone from a vacation standpoint. Um, and, and I think that'll be the the pedestal or the center of, of what we try to do going forward to raise the awareness and to, um, and, and to fund the charity. You mentioned that this was your first long one, your 240. How did it just compare? I mean, apart from the distance, how did it compare to the other ones? Well, a, a 100 mile race is, you know, which is also a relatively long distance is something that can, can be completed in a day, uh, meaning 24 to 30 hours. Uh, if you can, if you complete something in 24 to 30 hours, most people will understand that you can stay awake. And so hundred mile races, there's no sleep involved. When you get to 
a 200 mile race. Um, and with the amount of climbing, for example, I had to do at Moab, you add a whole new element. So you, when you're talking 100, you're worried about nutrition, you're worried about hydration, you're worried about electrolytes, and you're calculating and you're looking at temperatures and humidity and you're, and you're deciding how to keep your body moving. Uh, but sleep doesn't come in. And I learned a really hard lesson about sleep deprivation at <laughs> 240 miles because we're talking four days. And the human body just can't do that without some sleep. So during that time, I did sleep five and a half hours. And for me, that probably wasn't enough. Um, there were a few points where my efficiency got extremely low. And I think if I'd slept a little more, I probably could have finished a lot faster. So kind of putting it in the bank, I think it, it would have worked out. But it, it, was, a, it was a real challenge to uh, run that fine line between uh, being functional and being non-functional with the lack of sleep. I'm curious, do you have anybody that sets the pace for you? Do you have, like, how does that work? I'm just kind of curious how you allocate how many hours you're going to go a day. You know, do you have a choice with how far you want to go? I'm just curious because I think other people will be. <laughs> it's, um, ultra running is depending on the training load you're able to handle and, and how talented you are, it really comes down to maintaining a heart rate that you can maintain for 24 hours or greater. And that's not the same as marathoning or 5Kng or whatever. You, you, you can't redline. You have to take, you, you, you have to accept um, uh, that you can only take your heart rate up so high and maintain it for so long. And these, these ultra races, you're really not, uh, I mean, in, in a hundred, you're trying to go in and out of aid stations in two minutes and you're trying to keep moving in a, in a, in the 200. Um, I did sleep in the back of my crew car a few times and that was the five and a half hours. Um, as far as pace, it's what your, what your body can take relative to it's, it's science that, you know, your heart rate of 110, 120, uh, is something you can maintain for a very long period of time, 130, 140 beats per minute. You can't. So it's, it's, you, you, you climb slow and you, uh, go down a little faster and you maintain heart rate. Um, yeah, it's, uh, and then it's how much pain you can take <laughs> because <I bet. laughs> it, it's, um, it's, I, I think anybody can do it, but it's a question of desire and it's, uh, it, it's, it, it's not uh, always the easiest thing. There's a long time ago I was asked to put into words why I run. And I was asked to put into words in less than three words or three words or less. And I said to feel everything because there's everything from joy and elation and success and pain. And it's, it's all there. And if you want to go through all the emotions, run a hundred miles. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I know you said that you think everybody can do it, but I, I may beg to differ on that one. I'm not sure, not sure that that's true. But what I do want to know is, I, I mean, I'm sure there are a ton of these events that happen throughout the year. How do you pick which ones you personally want to participate in? Yeah, well, the the biking has become a bit of a democracy. And we pick dates around when we can, uh, uh, w when the group can free up, and we pick locations based upon uh, uh, 
a series of ideas each year. And we're looking for safe rides uh, for long distances. And what I mean by safe rides is we're looking for rails to trails and we're looking for bike paths that we can connect. Like the Cincinnati to Cleveland was 26 regional bike trails called OTET. And so there's these loosely uh, put together long distance routes. Um, this time we're going to do the, uh, this next year, we're going to go from Boston to Canada along the main coast. And we actually hope to go through uh, Belfast and maybe stop at Duck Trap on this one, um, which is our, our smoking plan for Moe. Um, so that's more democratic. As far as my uh, ultra distance running, I pick training cycles. So right now I'm two weeks, uh, 14 days since my Moab 240 and I've done very little. I will continue to do very little other than maybe some recreational running until after Christmas. And then I'll start to uh, train. Uh, last year I started February 15th in earnest training for the 200. And so I'm kind of on a schedule the, the last couple of years. I did Oil Creek in Western Pennsylvania last year, which was 100 uh, this year, Moab, both in October. Um, I think that's going to be kind of my norm right now. Maybe maybe a 50-kilometer or 100-kilometer race in the spring and then my long distance. So, so I look for races, two things I look for. One is I don't like to repeat. I like to go do something new. Um, I haven't repeated many long-distance races at all. Um, and, and then I look for the season. And then, of course, getting into these races, it's become such a popular sport. Its growth has been four or 500% in the last 10 years is you have to uh, register the day these races open or else you're on a wait list. So uh, it's, uh, it's, become, it's become quite the sport as far as participation. Well, you, you touched on it a little bit, but I, I need to know, because somebody that does not run, and for the little bit of running I have done, I have to be very honest, I do not enjoy it. Uh, when you decide on your events, you know, how do you start preparing? I know you said you'll start, you know, you'll take a break um, until after the holidays, but, you know, how far out do you typically start? What do you do? I mean, how do you, how do you start your training process? Well, it's a, it's, it's always a build. It's always, um, so it's, it's, I mean, it's like anything you start out slow, you start out, I mean, in my case, because I run all my life, I don't start out maybe as slow as someone going couch to a 5k, but you, you basically, uh, look at how long you have until the race and you build a training cycle and training cycles are typically for me something that goes three or four weeks where I increase maybe five to 10% either miles or elevation per week. And then I'll plateau and I'll back off for a week and then I'll build again. Um, so that basically you, uh, break it into blocks so that you give your body a little chance to recover in between an increase. Um, what was really what was really interesting in this past year, and I'm a big numbers person, is that when I looked at the training and I started February 15th arbitrarily, it turns out that the race was October 13th. And if you do the math, it was 240 days between when I started training and when the race occurred. And I'd like to say that I did that so that I trained one day per mile, but I would be lying to you. 
<laughs> that's, that's a lot of synchronicity right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a discipline. And when I get close to race time, um, my, my wife realizes that she becomes uh, single because, uh, you know, the weekends for me could be 14, 15 hours of training between the two days, um, wow. which I do most of my bigger training on the weekends. And then, and then in the mornings, um, when I'm traveling or I'm home, um, I'm usually up at three 30 or four and out the door with the headlamp and I get my training done before work. So it's a, it's a big commitment, but it's, uh, you know, between health and, um, and, and the mental aspects of running, which I find, you know, keep, keep me very, uh, very focused on business and on life. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely worth it. Well, I want to ask you, now that I have an idea of what you do before, which sounds pretty incredible, I, I want to know what do you do, especially for, for example, for the Moab, like, how do you keep going during the event? Because I know you, you touched on that you had, you know, like five, five and a half hours sleep, which really does not sound like a lot for me. Um, but I can't imagine getting that much sleep and putting that much exertion, but, but how are you fueling yourself? How are you like, are there other things that you're doing just to keep going through that multi-day event? Well, I mean, it's, it's really important to hold on to, or to, to manage the calories. I mean, it's important to, to feed your brain and to feed your body. And so in, uh, in, in these kinds of events, uh, a couple hundred calories to, you know, two, 300 calories per hour is, uh, is really critical. Um, you know, the hydrate, the hydration aspect, I mean, so you gotta, so, so you gotta be really careful to keep all, you know, to keep the engine running. And so these are the physical aspects. Um, I, I'd say 30, 40% of it is physical. Um, you know, you, you sometimes have to deal with nausea, um, you know, having an upset stomach is a really common thing in these races. Um, you got to find food that you want to eat, uh, eight, eight stations in a race like this are 20 miles apart, 15, 20 miles apart. So you're actually not getting aid more than once every eight, 10 hours. So you have to carry in your pack. I, I carried a gallon of water with me and, uh, and, and quite a bit of food. Um, what these races come down to and the part that I think I'm pretty good at is you have to really want to get to the finish line. Um, the level of, uh, ups and downs and aches and pains, it's not for everybody. Um, it's, uh, I've got a mantra, uh, that I've had most of my life, I think since I was a miler in high school and it's the word care. And that means that I, that, that, that if I'm going to be there, I didn't do all this training and I didn't travel to Utah to come home and having quit. And you just have to make a decision. I think, I think it goes for a lot of your life. You have to make decision that you're going to see something through and it is not easy. Um, I, I can tell you that, uh, you have to be willing to put up with quite a few hours. You have to have to be patient when, because the lows are really low. And then if you wait long enough, it, it fades and you get a high and it's, uh, it's really a mental game. 
Well, I know you said you, are you going to do the Moab next year or are you going to take a break or are you going to go back and hit it again next year? I am going to, I haven't announced anything yet, but I think, <laughs> I think next year is going to be a hundred. And then I really think that the following year will be a 200. Okay. I think, uh, I, I think I'm going to go back and, uh, I've had some races that have been close to 24 hours, but I haven't broken the one day mark. And I think I want to run a fast 100 next year. And then, uh, and then maybe the following year, uh, yeah, I think it's time to put what I learned and try it a second time, whether it's Moab or one of the other 200 mile races in the U S do they have, I'm curious, do they have other races? Is that the longest race that they have in the u.s or how much longer do they get i'm this is completely out of ignorance <laughs> no there's all kinds of crazy races um uh there's a cocodona 250 in arizona um uh there's a bigfoot uh it's about 207 mile uh race up in washington uh there's lake tahoe 200 which i think is about 210 um there's there's also crazy races. There's one, for example, and I can't think of the name of it now, in Brooklyn, New York, where you run around one city block and it's 3,100 miles over the course of a month. And you will not find me there. <laughs> but uh, but there's all kinds of crazy things you can do if you're if you're into it. There's another one called Infinitus, which is 888 kilometers, and that race takes place in uh, New Hampshire or Vermont over 10 or 12 days. That's another one that, uh, you won't see me at the start line. I'm not terribly interested. I think it's a single loop and, uh, I prefer to have a little, a little variety if I'm going to be out there for that long. Well, I can understand that if you're, if your body's going to take a pounding, you might as well, your mind is, might as well be engaged in what's around you a little bit. I would imagine than seeing the same thing go past repeatedly. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to see some beautiful country, go to Moab or go to Zion. It's just absolutely amazing between the desert. And, and then with this race, I was in the Alpine, you know, up over 10,000 feet quite a bit. And so, uh, you know, the Aspens were losing their leaves and it's just, it's just fantastic. And, you know, it's just, it's great to tie this all back to the seeing eye. I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just thrilled to find some purpose in, in, in the, all the silliness I've been doing all my life with the running that, that I can put the two together. So everything, everything for a purpose, Jim, everything yep. for a purpose. At least that's what they say. So <laughs> I, I, you were talking about sites and I just wanted to touch, I, cause I saw your pictures obviously. And I want to point out that you were there for the eclipse. I was, I saw it. Yeah. It was very it cool. Like you had some very impressive pictures. I, that's gotta be one of the best locations to have seen it. I would think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it came right over, and uh, and then we saw the full bullseye. It was it was very nice. And uh, uh, the, just one other thing about this, and I didn't mention it, is that I wasn't out there alone. I was out there with uh, three close friends who took the time off to uh, to support me. And I think in my first two hundred, if I hadn't have had them, I don't know what kind of success I would have had. And uh, it, it was amazing to have them working twenty four hours a day. Uh, crewing and then uh, starting at 114 miles, uh, I had someone with me um, who was helping me uh, for the remainder of the race and helping me, meaning that they were there to keep me focused and not get lost. And because my focus at, at 114 miles started to wane a little bit. So uh, three, three amazing friends who 
who really went out of their way to help me. So, yeah. with friends like that, that's like family. So you're very you're very blessed for that for sure. Yeah, it's funny you say that because there's about 13, 14 of us on Long Island, and we call ourselves Trail Family, and that's exactly yep. what we are. Yep. Yep. Well, I could keep talking to you for a while because it's something that I don't know anything about, and I just find it fascinating from a from a mental and a physical point of view. But I do know that you, as you are a corporate engineer, you have more things to do than to talk with me. So I want to start to wrap this up, and I want to thank you for taking the time to, to really talk with us and and I'm hoping that we will get some exposure for your charity. So I want to ask you, where can we direct people to to get more information on you, your cause? And even more importantly, where can they go to extend their support? Yeah, well, I appreciate you saying that. Um, so what we've done, uh, and I mentioned it earlier, we've, we've established a website, which we are uh, doing a little reconstruction on. Uh, it's, it's new this year, and as all multimedia, you want to try to get it right. Um, it's called puppyridelongisland.com. What, what you'll find there is a little bit of information about our history. Um, you'll find a direct link to Seeing Eyes, so you can go to their site and learn more about them. Uh, there's some great videos about training dogs and about raising dogs and, and how they do the whole process. And it's just absolutely an amazing process. It's amazing what a dog can do. Um, also there, you'll find a link or several links with the athletes to this year's uh, ride, which uh, the ride was uh, about 44,000 uh, that, that we raised. And that, that link actually goes directly into Seeing Eye. Um, we're gonna clean that page up and there'll be um, uh, kind of a new link that will be for year round for any donation. We don't take any of the money in ourselves. All the transaction is directly with Seeing Eye. And so we're just looking at this as a platform for awareness and a platform uh, for bringing people together and helping them raise the money to run the foundation. Well, we will definitely add that in the podcast notes. And, and I'm really sincerely hoping that even if nothing else, people will get more information on this clause. and. And hopefully even donate to it, you know, at some point, even if it's not now. Yeah. Yeah. And it just it, helping, helping with guide dog associations across the U.S. Um, just to, you know, just to keep this in mind that, that, that these people who are in sight, sight impaired and blind, it changes their lives and it's not driven by insurance. There's no insurance for this. This has to be something that comes from the good. And um, so it, it costs a lot of money to get these dogs out there and, and, and to help these people get around. It's really a great thing. So just in general, guide dogs, check it out. These dogs are heroes. Well, wow. on that note, I, I can't think of a better note to end on, quite honestly. So thank you, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for talking with me, for agreeing to do the podcast and, and for doing all of this. So I really appreciate it. Well, Moe has been an incredible supporter of what I'm doing, and I, I couldn't be happier to uh, to spread the word. And if you want to talk about running, I could talk about it for days. So we should cut this off. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye.